If you have your Bibles tonight, if you'll turn to the book of James, the first chapter, this is something that's been on my mind lately, these particular set of verses, and as I've studied them out, I feel like the message that's in it is profitable. Uh, I often think, first and foremost, when I'm preparing to preach, I obviously am thinking about the congregation at Bethlehem, but just because of modern technologies, Brother Tim and I both have had to somewhat, you know, have a mind that, that there are people that may hear this and we have no idea where they are or who they are. And it never ceases to amaze me. Anytime we travel to another Primitive Baptist church, the number of people that will come up to me and say something about the podcast. Sometimes I've had on multiple occasions, and I'm sure Brother Tim would echo this, people that don't even go to church here or hold the same belief that we have uh, are very faithful to listen to our podcast. And so when I think about what I'm going to preach, the congregation really extends beyond these walls. And I hope this particular message can be very profitable to whoever may hear it, wherever they may be. Because as I said, I think there's uh, some truth in here that could help us. And it's one of those messages that I believe can save you Certainly not from eternity, because from an eternity in hell, we understand that, but can save you on this side of heaven from a lot of troubles and snares. And so I want to read you a few passages out of James, the first chapter, and I want to start in verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 15. Uh, It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And this is really where I want us to look at, starting in verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, to me, the way that is, it's just so, I love the King James Version of the Bible. It's so beautiful and descriptive of this process that all of us are susceptible to going from the lust that lies within all of us all the way as it goes through its processes and it works its deceit and trickery and it takes us up to death. And the way that the writer here, James, lays this out It's very, very interesting if you just kind of break it down and look at how lust actually works to take us to death. Now, lust is something that we all are as fallen human creatures. We all deal with it. And you probably are thinking immediately when I say that you are probably thinking about, you know, lust, lust of the flesh, a a thought that runs through your mind, maybe when you're, you know, looking at another human being, the the definition of lust is to uh, have an intense desire or to to have a craving, and it's uh, the definition. Interestingly, says especially for the things that are forbidden, and so that lies within all of us. Now, I will say this: that the lust, the possibility of us acting on lust or us having a a temptation from the lust uh, that that dwells within us can certainly be strengthened based on the things that we do. Now, uh, I did not say that very well, but let me give you an example. 
Um, and, and you'll hear me mention pornography probably multiple times throughout this sermon. But a person that is engrossed in pornography and it is part of their daily life. Compared to a person who is not involved in that and who tries to keep pure things set before him and to keep a pure train of thought. Those two people are feeding lust in totally different ways. One of those is just is just letting lust just, uh, you know, gorge itself on all of these images and things like that. He is you might could say he is inflaming or fanning the flames of those lustful desires, the cravings that he has the, for the forbidden things are going to be much higher than somebody that's trying to, uh, you know, protect what they set before their eyes. There's no question about that. You know, and if you think, no, 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 I can do all of these things and it's not going to be flanning the flames of my lust. You are not that strong. So lust, we, we all deal with lust. So I would warn you to start with, be careful what you're looking at. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful who you are around because I don't want to feed my lustful nature any more than it's just it's fed just from my fallen being. I hope that makes sense. So it's something that we all deal with. So it says here, I want to walk through these verses and I want you to hopefully and I this was my prayer for this sermon that the Lord would help me paint a picture of how lust works. And so it tells us here that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, the first step that lust goes through is lust tries to, according to God's word, it tries to draw you away. Notice that every man is tempted when he is drawn away. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Joshua, the battles that the Israelites went through, they go into the promised land. They have the great city of Jericho that they've got to defeat. And after the city of Jericho, they have the city of Ai, which because of some sin in, within the camp of Israel, they lose the battle to Ai, which was a very small, small city compared to Jericho. And so after they repent and they turn back to God for the things that they had done to disobey him by taking some things out of Jericho that they weren't supposed to the Lord says I'm going to deliver you I'm going to deliver the city of Ai into your hands now and so the military tactic that they used to do that was this Joshua tells them says all right this is how we're going to do this we're going to get a big army of people all of our soldiers, you know, we're going to get a big company and we're going to start pressing on towards Ai, but we're going to stop some distance from Ai. And he said, we're going to have another company of soldiers that's going to go around the city and they're going to just camp back behind the city, hidden out of sight. And he said, so what we're going to do is as this main company marches towards the city of Ai, all the soldiers and the fighting men of the city are going to see us and they're going to come out to, to fight us. And I want to read how this played out in Joshua, the eighth chapter. Their plan was when the men of the city come that when they came out to fight against the Israelites and they left their city totally unattended. 
to where it was just women and children in the city, that the people that were camped behind the city, they come into the city to overtake the city. And so the men of Ai that are fighting, they turn and look and they realize we've got a, a camp of Israelites in front of us. We see smoke burning from the city now, so we know that there are Israelites in our unguarded city, and we're here stuck in the middle of them. Pretty good military tactic, really. And it says, and all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them, meaning to pursue after the main company. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. All right, I don't want you to miss that. They were, they were, they were in a protected place in their city. This is where they had their best chance of defending what was theirs. But there was something out in the distance that drew them away from where they were. And in this case, they were drawn away to a fight. And they left the protection of the, the walls of their city. Now... The Bible says that lust, one of the first steps that we go through when we're dealing with lust, the companion that it will be with us until the day we die, when we're dealing with him, the first thing he wants to do is draw us away, is to pull us away. And the question is, what does he want to pull us away from? I'll say it this way. Lust is trying to draw you away from the fortress of your moral character and spiritual mind. Just like Israel was trying to draw the inhabitants of Ai out of that city, lust is trying to draw us away from the, from the secure, safe place of our, of our moral heart. Now, the Bible talks about two different types of hearts. The Bible talks about a wicked heart in Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. And it says, you know, the, that that particular heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked and who can know it that's not the heart i'm talking about the bible also talks about a spiritual heart you know in ezekiel the 36th chapter the writer there says that the lord will take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh he will he will give you a new heart and a new spirit so that spiritual heart that we're talking about is given to us in a new birth when we are given a divine nature by god and that spiritual heart, that is not the heart that is desperately wicked. That spiritual heart that God gave us that has his laws written on it, that is where the, moral, the, the fortress of our moral character lies. And the Bible says things like this about that heart. The Bible says to keep that heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. He's not talking about keep. That word keep means to guard and protect. He's not talking about guarding and protecting the wicked heart who is deceitful above all things. He's talking about keeping this moral character that you've got to guard that and protect it with all diligence, not just halfway doing it with all diligence because it is a valuable thing. That moral character that stays within that fortress, that spiritual mind that stays within that fortress, it is a valuable thing and out of it flow the issues of life. So you've got to protect it. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You see the same language there? Keep your hearts. 
The Lord is giving us something in those moments when our, our logical mind and our human abilities can't find peace. The Lord says, in this particular situation, it is beyond you to be able to keep your heart. You don't have the mind power to protect your heart. So I'm going to give you a peace that passes the understanding you would have naturally and give you that so you can keep your heart. The Lord also says to his disciples on many occasions, let not your heart be troubled. He's saying this fortress of your moral character and spiritual mind here, that is something I don't want you to let be troubled. I want to help you and give you something uh, that goes beyond the limits of your nature to protect that. I'm giving you words to protect it. You need to keep it with all diligence. Where is lust trying to draw us away from that fortress? Lust is, look, we all are inclined to it. We all have the ability, ability to lust. It is a part of our fallen, corrupt nature. And if our companion of lust can say, hey, come over here, follow me, follow me, follow me, and draw you away from those things, that's what he wants to do. He's drawing us from that fortress. The question is, where is he drawing us to? And I want you to listen really, really close to this, especially you young people. Lust is trying to draw you to opportunity. You hear me? Lust is trying to draw you to opportunity. Let me talk to you just a little bit about opportunity. David, when David one of David's problems was this, is that David created the opportunity. You may find opportunity sneaking up on you at times. But certainly don't be like David. And most of our young people fall because they created an opportunity. And you'll see why that's so dangerous in just a second. David said, oh, there's Bathsheba. Okay. David could have turned around and said, what am I doing? I Look, I didn't intend to go out there and see that. It, it just happened and I saw it. I'm gonna, I'm, I've got to go do something to get my mind off of this. But what did Lust say? He said, hey, come on a little further. Let's leave that, moral for, that, that fortress of your moral character and come on over here a little bit and let's try to find an opportunity. And so David created the opportunity when he told his servants, go get her and bring, them in, bring her into my chamber and leave. And so now David, whose, whose lust, the flame of his lust has been fanned a little bit. He has, uh, lust has drawn him away from that fortress and he has created himself an opportunity here. He is alone with a beautiful woman and his lust is, is full throttle. He created that scenario. You also think about the prodigal son. Did the prodigal son not create opportunity for himself? The Bible says he took, all, uh, he took his inheritance and he said he went and spent it all on riotous living. The old saying goes, wine, women, and song. Okay, he wasn't going to primitive Baptist meetings. He was going to the prostitute, the harlot. He was going into all the bars and the pubs and he spent his money 
on all that righteous living. He created the opportunity for lust to do what lust does. So did David. Opportunity. This is an opportunity. Young people, do you see me? This, parents, this is opportunity. It is endless opportunity. At the bloop, bloop, bloop click of a few buttons, you can see and watch whatever you want to. So I encourage parents, if your child doesn't have some sort of filters or safety net on these things, throw them in the garbage. Because you are the watchman, parents. You are the watchman on the fortress of their moral character for some time. You've got to try to prevent opportunity from finding you and finding your children. Young people, parties, and I'm not talking about birthday parties. You know what I'm talking about. When there is a drinking party, when there is a say, hey, everybody come over here. We're going to have a good time. And, you know, hey, if you don't drink, that's okay. Just come over. And you got people chugging and funneling beer over here and loud, crazy, godless music playing. You walked into opportunity. And lust is there calling you, trying to draw you away from that fortress of your moral being. And you have given it an opportunity to do its work. And I've said this a million different times. If all you ever do in life is love your family, love your neighbors, come to this church, enjoy this church and listen to the preaching and spend time in prayer and you are never a part of that crowd, praise God, you are ahead of the game. Amen. Okay, so lust, let me flip back over to James for just a second. So lust, every man is tempted when he is drawn away from that fortress of his own lust and enticed. Lust drew you away from that fortress. He brought you to an opportunity where he has the best chance of getting you to do something. To partake of something that is not good for you and it is forbidden and it is godless and it is against God's law. He takes you to that opportunity. We've talked about phones. We've talked about parties. Let me tell you, what about alcohol? Here's the, here's the problem with alcohol. Is that it, there is no secret that alcohol, and the Bible speaks about drunkenness and how alcohol affects you. Alcohol, it clouds your judgment. You can't think straight. As a matter of fact, how many times does somebody go out and get drunk and do something, and then when they sober up, they have no idea they even did it? How can you make sound judgment? How can you protect that fortress if you don't even know where you are or what day it is, alcohol clouds your judgment. Lust would love nothing. You make lust job so much easier when he draws you away if he can get you drunk. I know that's awful plain, but listen, we're at a time in, in our society where preachers, they, we've got to quit mincing words. Listen, I, and I don't mean this to say this mean because it breaks my heart. God's people as a corporate Thing, their ears are dull. We are, there is too much at stake now.
for God's preachers to stand up and just baby everything. Listen, there is too much at stake. We have got to preach God's word. And if you are drunk, you will be a victim of lust. And listen, I'm not talking just about lust of the flesh towards another person. People lust after all types of things. You know what I think the number one cause after talking with Tiffany for years and years and years and her helping me understand the mind of a young lady? You know what the number one cause I believe of why the modern day teenage girl dresses like a harlot? Was that too plain? The modern day teenage girls dress like harlots at prom. Does it grieve your hearts when you see prom pictures on Facebook that mom and daddy take? With a young man with his hand way too low? That is a problem. Because it is a picture of the mindset of those young people and even more so the parents. There is nothing godly about a half-naked young lady with a man groping her and mama and daddy stamping their approval on it. You wonder why our country's in the shape it's in? We've probably got the weakest generation of parents that's ever been. Talking with Tiffany about the young ladies and how they dress, they dress that way because they lust after being accepted. And they lust after being popular. And they can't bear the thought of not coming into a room and looking like every other girl that's in there. That's lust. It's not lust of, you know, maybe fornication, but it's a type of lust. Alcohol. Opportunity. Do you know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, do you know that Paul says that it is good for a man not to touch a woman? He said, but to keep fornication from happening, let them marry. Do you know what he's saying? That lust lives within all of us. And to go over there, an unmarried man and an unmarried woman, or maybe a married man and a married woman, and go over there and, and have really too much physical contact, which minimal physical contact is too much, he's saying that's dangerous. You know what he's saying? Opportunity. He says, don't touch them. I say, man, don't be alone with one if she's not your wife. And vice versa. You know, Tiffany, have had that, I, we've had that role from day one. My policy is in my office is they say, yeah, he's always the first to leave. Do you know why? Because I'm not going to be there with another female by herself. I'm, I'm leaving. I hope I'm not being too mean. But that creates an opportunity. Now, now let me go on. Then, when lust hath conceived... Isn't that a beautiful picture? What do you think about when you think about conception? You think about two things coming together and bringing forth something else, right? Conception uh, means that here, and it also means to lay hold of and to seize. So when lust, step one, it is to draw you away from that fortress of the moral character in mind, and it wants to bring you to an opportunity when lust can get you to act on that opportunity, it gives birth to something. What does it give birth to? 
The Bible says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, that death there, obviously that death means physical death. But you know what the, the, one of the first definitions of death in that passage is? It is misery of the soul arising from sin. Misery of the soul arising from sin. So read it this way. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away from the fortress of his moral character, of his own lust, to a place where he has the opportunity to give in to that lust and take something that is forbidden. When he does that, lust, lust has conceived and it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth a misery to the soul. I wish I could get people to take that seriously. But they won't. Because the sin of pride tells them, not me. Not me. I'm able to go to that party. And I'm able to be there while everyone drinks. And I'm able to be in a crowd where every couple here is fornicating and talking about fornication. I'm able to be in the midst of that. And it not affect me. That is hogwash. Okay? Let me tell you another thing about pornography that I mentioned. There are places that lust has to take you. If you spend your time in pornography, it doesn't have to take you anywhere. It's right there. Right there. And it's going to be there when you're waking up in the morning. It's going to be there when you're working through your day. It's going to be there when you go to bed at night. You got to get up and go to a party. You got to get up and go to the bar. You got to get up and go to all the godlessness that's out there. But there are some things that you can do that will stay right here with you. I would caution you tremendously about those things. Sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. I think about Achan, which was one of the men that went into Jericho after he was told not to, they were all told, don't bring anything out of Jericho. And he went in there and, and he saw some, some goods and it says some, you know, some, some garments and things like that. And, and he looked on those things. And lust was standing there beside him. And lust said, hey, hey, Mr. Godly Israelite, let me draw you away from that fortress. Let me draw you away where God is the center of your thoughts. The God that just took down these walls without anybody really lifting a hand. Let me draw you away from him and show you this opportunity that's before you. Let me encourage you to pick down, reach down and pick one up and hide it. And when Achan did, lust gave birth to sin. And then sin began to do its work in perfecting misery in the life of Achan. Do you think Achan was miserable when word was going through the camp? Somebody sinned and we got to figure it out. He was terrified. Do you think Achan, Achan uh, was, was miserable when they took him and his family and, and pointed them out and said, these are the culprits. This is why 36 men died at Ai because of what he has done. Do you think he was miserable? 
Do you think his soul was in anguish? Do you think his soul was in anguish as sin is all the while doing its perfect work and bringing misery to this man? Do you think that he was miserable when he realized that he and his family received the death sentence? That's misery. Do you think the prodigal son, when he went out and lusted, hey, leave your father's home, ask him for his inheritance before he dies? Which I've heard people say before, that's kind of like saying, I wish you were dead. Get your inheritance and, and follow me. Leave the comfort of your father's home and follow me. And come over here and let me show you these opportunities. Let me show you the, the beautiful harlot that sits on the side or stands on the side of the street. Let me show you the alcohol that can take away all your pains and sorrows and troubles. And let me show you all this opportunity. And if you'll just come over here and be a part of what's going on. And as soon as he did, lust gives birth to sin. And it began a work in him to bring him to a state of misery. Do you think he was miserable when he, when literally, according to the Bible, was basically starving to death? And he was there with the hogs and the slop that they were feeding the hogs. And he was so miserable and so hungry, he was willing to eat that. But even that was not offered to him. Do you think he was miserable? Do you think sin held up its end of the bargain? It sounds like it. I think it made him miserable in what he was doing. You think about, what about Adam? My goodness, Adam and Eve. When, when Adam took of that fruit and lust said, hey, let me show you an opportunity here to be just like God and to have all the wisdom and all the things that God is and God has, and you can be that if you'll just take it. And then he takes it, he shows him that opportunity, and Adam takes it. Lust gives birth to sin and sin starts doing its perfect work to bring misery to the soul of the sinner. And you and I are suffering from that today. Why? Because of lust. Now, I'm not going to kid you about some of this stuff. Some of the things that lust will take you to, the opportunities that it presents to you some of them may bring you great, great worldly pleasure for a season. But sin will have its work. And sin is laying its plot and plan out. And as the Bible says, the bread of deceit, it might be sweet. It says the bread of deceit is sweet. But in the end, it turns into gravel in your mouth. So don't be so prideful to think that you can partake of the opportunities that lust puts before you and it not turn into gravel and it not lead to misery. Okay, now let me give, let me give you some conclusions here. Don't feed lust. If lust is going to lead you away and get you, make him work for it. Make him sneak up on you. Have you ever heard some people talk? I've heard this before, maybe in some TV interviews or this, that, and the other. Have you ever heard somebody that did something terrible and they said to you, it was like it, was like it wasn't even me. It was like I was just out of my mind. You know why? Because lust had taken over 
And you weren't you. You were not the spiritual being that was resting safely and warm inside the fortress of the character God gave you of that divine nature. You were the person that stepped out of that led away by lust. It fanned the flames of that desire and those cravings for the forbidden things that put opportunity before you and you took it. And sometimes it takes that long. So make lust Work hard if he's going to get you. If you sit around and you watch all the godless stuff that's on television, it will absolutely make it easier for lust to draw you away. How? Because you'll quit realizing what's right and what's wrong. You know, fornication is running amok. You know, that is, that is just as common as me breathing air up here. There's, there's, no, there's no shame in that. People celebrate that. You know, that's just part of what everybody does, right? That's what they'll tell you. It's, you know, you, I, see, I see mamas with, with, with no father in the picture for their children because of what I'm talking to you about right here. Because lust took over. And because lust took over, there's a child that won't have a father in the picture. Why? Because lust. Don't feed lust. Don't give lust the opportunity he's trying to get you to and i would be remiss if i did not point out the wonderful man joseph who lust could not draw him away out of that fortress so lust tried to surprise attack and all of a sudden you know potiphar's wife is standing in front of him when all the men had left the house remember potiphar's wife tried to create an opportunity. Now listen, that's something else you need. You may not create an opportunity, but somebody else may create an opportunity and lust right on the piggy, uh, the, the coattails of that opportunity and, and sling you into it. And so Potiphar's wife concocts this crazy scheme. All the men are left and out of the house and all of a sudden it's just her and Joseph and maybe Joseph rounds the corner and there she stands. And you can probably imagine what she looked like standing there. I doubt she was in her Sunday best. Let's be real about it. And here's the opportunity that Joseph didn't create and Joseph wasn't looking for. But Joseph has a lustful nature just like the rest of us. And Joseph's got to make a decision. Do I act? Let lust conceive? And bring forth sin to the misery of my soul? Or do I pick up my skirt and get out of here? And the Bible says Joseph fled. He ran. Did Joseph end up in prison? Yeah. The Bible says if you suffer for the Lord's sake, if you suffer for righteousness, happy are ye. I would be much in a much better state of mind if I am suffering in a prison because I've been falsely accused than if I'm suffering in prison because I gave in to lust. And the Lord delivered Joseph out of that. Don't give the opportunity to sin, to lust, and if it's presented to you, run. I would love one day to hear a story. Did you hear about about so-and-so? I'll pick on Brother Clay since he's right in front of me. Did you hear about Clay? Clay went over there and and he was studying with some friends and he didn't realize what was going on. But the next thing you know, 
uh, they start playing some crazy music and they start passing out some beers and stuff. And all of a sudden they bring in a girl that's a stripper. And did you hear what Clay did? He ran through the door to get out of there. And he ran straight home and picked up his Bible and praised God for a godly family. I want to hear that story. Because I've heard too many stories that go the other way. I'll leave you with this. All of us have been drawn away. All of us have been taken and presented opportunities. All of us have been like Achan and reached down and took something that we weren't supposed to take. All of us have felt the misery of sin from our decisions. Have we not? But the Bible also says in the book of 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you find yourself in a situation where lust has conceived and brought forth misery, maybe like David, I mean, you, know, you know, the story of the prodigal son, how did it end for him? He came back to his father. He got back into that fortress. I'm sure he had scars and some emotional things that he had to deal with, but he came back to that safe place. And we can too. We can get back to that safe place. You know, David had trouble with it throughout his household for the rest of his years after this account with Bathsheba. But the Lord took the guilt away from David. And David went on to do mighty things for the Lord. So if you're sitting there tonight thinking, oh my goodness, I am the prodigal son. I, I am David. I have created opportunities. I've let lust draw me away from that fortress too many times and I have I have taken uh, I've seized the opportunities that he's put before me and I have seen the misery that comes from those things that's that's what's wonderful about the Lord is that if we confess those things to him he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but the best thing to do is you need to be vigilant you need to understand that you have the tools that it takes to fall. We got that from uh, our big brother, Adam. You've got a nature that gives you every single thing you need to fall to those opportunities. But you also have a nature that's given to you by God with uh, his laws written on those hearts. And he tells you to keep it with all diligence. And if you've got to leave friends, if you've got to leave TV shows, if you've got to leave magazines, if you've got to leave music, if you've got to leave a job, if you've got to leave whatever, anything that draws you away from that fortress, leave. Put it behind you. Even if it means you're going to live your life as a poor man, I would rather be a poor man than have the misery from sin. And the Bible speaks about those things. I hope that it has been profitable to you. If I didn't care, I wouldn't preach things like this. But I do care. The Lord laid out in his word the playbook of lust. It, he showed us this is how it works. He draws you away. He presents you with an opportunity and entices you. He gets you to take it. That brings forth sin, and sin brings forth misery. He laid it out for us. We can't plead ignorance on any of this.